I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a -a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Shrouded in secrecy. Guarded by guns. Today, we're taking you inside one of the most mysterious institutions in the country. The microorganisms and the chemicals that we handle here are probably the most dangerous substances known to man. The Times has been granted rare access through the airtight doors at Porton Down, the Ministry of Defence laboratories where they research chemical weapons and killer diseases. It's a timely tour, as in an exclusive interview, the Defence Secretary has issued a stark warning. The Times carries an interview with the Defence Secretary, who's warning of a growing threat of chemical and biological attacks. I think there is a growing threat of chemical or biological. And we've seen plots exposed in Europe. It is, unfortunately, uh, what happens in in a sort of breakdown of world order. Do you have enough space in your mind to deal with another horror story? You're listening to Stories of Our Times from The Times and The Sunday Times. I'm Manveen Rana. Today, inside Porton Down. Deep in the Wiltshire countryside sits a 7,000-acre plot of some of the most closely guarded land in Britain, the Defence Science and Technology Laboratory at Porton Down. It looks a bit like an ordinary, out-of-town industrial estate only with rows of barbed wire outside and police officers carrying guns. And not just any old guns, the sort that were used by the Navy SEALs to kill Osama bin Laden. So what goes on here, behind the barbed wire fences? And what have the scientists who work here learned about the threats facing the country? I spoke to our newest colleague. Would you mind just starting by introducing yourself? Yes, I am Larissa Brown and I am the Defence Editor for The Times. Well, Larissa, firstly, welcome. Thank you. Is this your first day? It is, which is, so it's quite a, quite a busy day. <laughs> <laughs> Congratulations on coming in with a massive scoop. Tell me about your visit to Porton Down. What made you want to go? 
no newspaper has properly been able to see some of the most sensitive labs before. And so it's something that I've been asking to do for a while. And now that the lab is working on coronavirus, they're being more open to journalists. You know, it's such a huge site. A large facility. So DSTL is a huge organisation, but Porton Down itself is a big site physically. Yeah. Um, we have a huge expanse of what we call the range. There's some explosive work that might take place out there. And there's some chemical work that might take place on their training. The bit that I went into was specifically where they're working on the deadly diseases, whereas the building next door is more about the chemical weapons. What's it like? You know, it's such a secret place. You very rarely get access. Once you get inside, I mean, there's so many layers of security. Somebody there had described it as like an onion. Our safety systems are, I guess you would call them an onion layer. So we have, we have a number of systems in place, ultimately to protect our people, but also importantly the surrounding environment and the, and the UK population. Yeah. And you know you were explaining before about like the airlock system. Has there been many issues where either chemicals or biological items have sort of leaked out of the labs? We, we haven't. There has never, to my knowledge, been a release of microorganisms from this facility. Yeah. We regularly practice for that. This is the first time a newspaper journalist has been allowed in. Tell us in particular about Sweet D. To get into that room, you've got to go through several doors, which are all airtight. So you've got to go through one door and then that closes before you're allowed to go through the next door and then that's got to close before you're allowed through the other door. Um, and of course, you've got to have a pass to get into that section. And then once you get in there, it looks, you know, quite similar to a lab, I suppose, that you might have seen on television. The difference is, is there are lots of signs warning of hazards and dangerous chemicals and they're wearing very thick layers of gloves in order to handle the pathogens. What sort of pathogens are in there? Do they, what, what do they tell you about what you're about to see? So we first went into level three and we spoke to a scientist in that room who was conducting work on coronavirus. And it was quite striking because there was a refrigerator in one corner of the room and it had anthrax and coronavirus and the plague and all of that was inside at one small container. So Sweet D was the laboratory containing the um, a variety of pathogens that the scientists were working on throughout the day. Lots of pipettes, special bio jars, which are used to transport coronavirus and the plague and anthrax. Everything you could really imagine in a normal lab, but of course, you're in a particularly hazardous environment. I mean, it sounds terrifying, L literally carrying bits of plague. Yes, well, as, as Tim Atkins said. When you first come here, um, and the first time you, you hold plague in a vial, and yeah. you look at that vial, which is, which is five millilitres, and you understand that the number of infectious doses in that is, is large. It's enough to kill hundreds of thousands of people. That really does land with people, and they understand what, what they're handling, yeah. um, and the risks associated with doing that. And how did he feel about just the responsibility of it? He was saying things that sounded terrifying, but he seemed quite calm about it, really. Uh, so the microorganisms and the chemicals are probably the most dangerous substances known to man um, that we handle here. What, what exactly are they doing in these labs? There's all sorts going on in terms of coronavirus. One of the scientists that we spoke to called Amanda was specifically looking at 
disinfectants. So she was looking at which products would help kill coronavirus. And so that was the main part of her work. But we spoke to other people that were also just conducting tests. They were getting results back from members of the military who were going overseas or coming back home and they were interpreting those results. We also were told about um, another test that was going on where they were using an artificial finger. We're just about to start this project. Um, is looking at if you deposit an aerosol on a surface yep. and then you touch that surface, yep. what transfers to your, to your finger? And this mm. finger had just been developed in recent days and this finger was being used to see how long coronavirus was lasting on surfaces. What we're trying to do is mimic a human finger in terms of ridges, the way that it curves. Mm -hmm. Has it got a name? Um, at the moment, I think we're calling it the artificial finger, but we're not that far. <laughs> so it's not very imaginative. I mean. There was another one that was quite interesting where they showed us a smartwatch, and the smartwatch is being used along with blood samples to try and determine whether somebody who might have come into contact with something like coronavirus would go on to suffer from um, multi organ failure or sepsis. How would that work? What this project does is takes data from the watch takes other bits of data, of yeah. data biomedical bits of data, um, and looks for a pattern. What they're doing is the smart watch has got many different sensors on it. So, for example, it can determine somebody's sleep pattern and also mm. their heart rate. And they're using the details from the smart watch with details from the blood samples and put together, they're trying to see if a pattern emerges that can determine whether somebody is then going to get sick. We're looking for a pattern that says, if you have this pattern, from the things we've measured, yeah. it's likely you've been infected with a pathogen. So, for example, in the future, they're hoping that a soldier that might be on the battlefield and might come into contact with some pathogen can then take those tests and send them back to a lab and they'll know if they are going to become very, very ill within a few days and therefore they can be evacuated to a military hospital. That's amazing. Tell me a bit about the people you met there. The person that was taking us round was a professor called Tim Atkins. So can you tell me a bit about what you're doing here? So th this facility is all about microbial pathogens and, and yeah. the pathogens that we handle here are the ones that are hazardous to, to humans and they're typified by pathogens such as plague, anthrax. He had worked at the establishment since 1996. I think I have a brilliant job. One minute I can be talking to, to people like you and that's brilliant. The phone can ring and I can end up in the police car whizzing off to, to a suspected use of a chemical agent and I, you know, advising the police and the emergency services. Um, I get to see all of the research that's done in, the, in this facility. He's the technical lead, so he oversees a lot of the research. And obviously this is sort of the type of stuff that could kill you if you come into contact with it. So on the outside, people would be like, oh my God, like you're dealing with all these hazardous materials. So the pathogens will kill you. Yeah. You know, if you look at plague, that has killed a lot of people. But of course, to kill you, they have to be able to infect you. And you can see around you that we invest a large amount of money yeah. in engineered control systems. He was wearing a lanyard which was decorated with all sorts of pins that he'd, he'd received and there was a commendation for his um, work that he did on the nerve agent Novichok. And as one of the scientists, I mean, is he basically the real-life Q? Is this, <laughs> is this that part of the Bond film? He's trained as a microbiologist. I'm not sure if he'd see himself as Q. 
Amanda Phelps, she's a virologist and she's also been at Porton Down for, for decades. And can you just explain a bit about what you're doing now then in terms of your work today? She in particular is looking at different disinfectants and how they, they impact the spread of coronavirus. And that's with a particular military focus. And she was telling us that in her lab, she's wearing a yellow lab coat. That means it's level three where things like coronavirus are. Mm. And then once you go into level four, which is where they work on Ebola and developing research into that, you have to wear a red lab coat. And she was explaining how over the years she's been on all the different levels and has worked on, you know, every deadly disease you can think of. And she was telling us about all the steps she has to take to make sure that the lab is properly um, decontaminated. Do you think about the sort of the consequences if you don't do all of these checks and safety measures? Um, I do consider that, yeah. absolutely. So it's, it's not something that any scientist would be complacent about. Mm-hmm. Our training is so ingrained and yeah. so entrenched. You went to look at sort of how Porton Down is dealing with COVID. Mm-hmm. What do you think the government wants people to understand about how all of that's working? I think there's been a lot of mystery about Porton Down in the past because back in the 50s and 60s there were tests where they were using soldiers as human guinea pigs and I think you know that all of that's changed in recent decades and I think they obviously want to make clear that these people working at Porton Down are incredible scientists that are now taking part in the national effort to combat coronavirus and their their role is in, incredibly significant. Anyone in the UK who has been in South Africa in the past fortnight must quarantine immediately. Now, these measures are temporary. While we investigate further this new strain, which is uh, shortly to be analysed at Porton Down. Both of those viruses, as I understand it, are either in or heading on their way to Porton Down to be assessed by the expert virologists. It's got quite a, a colourful history, Porton Down. Tell us a bit about that. Well, actually, one of the conspiracy theories that I was reading about is people once thought that they'd got aliens and were testing aliens in the lab. <laughs> so um, I did joke about that with Tim, and he said, absolutely, no, we do not. We've never had aliens in the laboratory. Not today. <laughs> no, not today. It's easy to understand why Porton Down might send imaginations racing. In just a moment, we'll delve into some of the darker moments from the lab's history, and Larissa speaks to the Defence Secretary about the new threats we face. To enjoy more remarkable stories every day, subscribe to The Times and The Sunday Times today and get one month free. Visit thetimes.co.uk forward slash stories of our times. Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact, you can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. I'm Sandra, 
and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. In April 1915, amid the chaos of the First World War, Germany unleashed a new weapon chlorine gas. It was the first use of a chemical weapon in modern warfare. In response, the British government set up what they called the War Department Experimental Station, a self-contained secret scientific village for research. Porton Down. Its task was to create Britain's own chemical weapons, and in the decades that followed, the UK was caught up in an arms race. On the third day after exposure, the casualties begin. It is, of course, necessary to confirm that they've died of anthrax. In 1942, Porton Down scientists tested anthrax on sheep on a remote island off the coast of Scotland. Dead sheep can be seen further down the line. It had to be quarantined for 48 years. An anthrax bomb was developed, but never used. And as World War II ended the Allies discovered Nazi scientists had developed a nerve agent called sarin. Colourless, odourless, lethal in even the smallest doses. Porton Down needed to understand sarin and its effects, but animal experiments couldn't give them all the answers they wanted. One of the things that I wanted to ask them about, actually, in particular, was they did have a death there. He was a leading aircraftman and he was called Ronald Madison. And he was basically a human guinea pig who had participated in the tests of sarin nerve agent. So he died foaming at the mouth. And this was in 1953. And actually, it wasn't until 2006 that a report delved into that further and found that hundreds of servicemen had been subjected to unethical chemical experiments at Porton Down throughout the Second World War and the Cold War. They did do things that nowadays we would find completely unforgivable. It was one of the biggest cover-ups of the Cold War. At Porton Down, the work continued as the labs developed a biological weapon 170 times more lethal than sarin. The nerve agent, VX. More about that later. But with the advent of the nuclear weapons programme in the 1950s, the focus shifted elsewhere. Porton Down's offensive weapons programmes were terminated. In 1997, the UN banned all production of chemical weapons, and the research done at Porton Down now is only defensive. 
it would be illegal for us to develop a new chemical mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Um, that was specifically designed to, to cause harm to humans. Uh, what we do do is take the chemicals, including nerve agents, mm -hmm. uh, that, that we know represent a threat to humans, yes. and we develop protective systems against those. So that's, that's why we need to make very small amounts of those chemicals in order to, to test those systems. The labs at Porton Down need to understand these nerve agents because, despite an international ban, Chemical and biological weapons are still in use. A Syrian doctor claims these pictures posted on YouTube are evidence that chemical weapons were used against rebels in northern Aleppo. In 2013, the Assad regime in Syria used chemical weapons against its own people. Here's Anthony Lloyd, the Times war correspondent, speaking to the media from Syria that April. I found uh, the location of the most recent chemical strike in, in Aleppo and followed that through to the hospital where the casualties have been treated. They're frothing at the mouth, their pupils are dilated, they're in a semi-trance state, some are using repetitive limb jerking as well, twitching going on, and then in, three of them died, two children's wife died. Having been to the house myself, having been inside the house, having spoken to the survivors, there's no doubt in my mind that it, it was a chemical attack. Samples were sent to Porton Down. The Assad regime had used sarin, the nerve agent developed by the Nazis. I choose my words carefully, but what I see does look very much like a war crime is being committed in our world at this time by the Syrian government. More chemical weapons attacks followed, as did mounting international outrage. No one disputes that chemical weapons were used in Syria. The question now is what the United States of America and the international community is prepared to do about it. But this was simply the start of a new era of rogue regimes using chemical and biological weapons with impunity. In 2017, North Korea's Kim Jong-un had his half-brother assassinated using VX, the nerve agent first developed by Porton Down. And then, in 2018, another nerve agent was used, this time very close to home. So the scientists that you spoke to, and I know you've also spoken to the Defence Secretary, and we'll, we'll talk about that in just a moment, but they were all very keen to tell you about new threats that this country is facing. Mm -hmm. Tell us a bit about that. Take us back to March 2018 and the Skripal poisoning, because that seems like a, a, a big moment in understanding how the threat in this country is changing. Remind us of what happened. So in 2018, Sergei Skripal, who was a Russian double agent who'd been living in the UK, had his daughter Yulia come and visit him from Russia and they fell very ill and were taken to hospital. And so this appears to have been a state-sponsored assassination attempt after all. Order. Statement. The Prime Minister. It is now clear that Mr Skripal and his daughter were poisoned with a military-grade nerve agent of a type developed by Russia. And it emerged that they'd been poisoned and that the poison had been put on their door handle to um, Sergei's house. When the Salisbury poisonings happened, this was one of the only places in the world that would have been able to determine that that poison that was used against Sergei Skripal and his daughter was in fact Novichok. 
and that only the Russian state could have been behind such a brazen attack. And later on, it emerged that two GRU officers had flown from Russia to Salisbury and they were identified as the people that had tried to kill Sergei Skripal. If they hadn't had determined the fact that it was Novichok, they wouldn't have had the response that they did in terms of the police trying to find the original substance. Professor Tim Atkins and his team were commended for their work. He and two colleagues received OBEs from the Queen. Have I been directly involved in saving lives? I would like to think so. I think if you took some of the advice I and we provided to the emergency services during the Novichok incident... um, I would like to think we stopped more members of the emergency services becoming becoming ill. I think we did we did prevent injury certainly and probably death. And I think we've probably done that on more than one occasion. With the Novichok um, episode, obviously the, the um, Russians had loads and loads of attack lines and disinformation. And one of those was they said, well, Porton Down had, had been developing Novichok and have leaked it from the lab. How how plausible could that ever be? Uh, that's implausible. Yeah. Um, it just would never get out, would it? No. No, OK. But just because of all the systems I've described to you, yeah. um, the, the, the way we handle chemicals, the way we account for those, um, and all of the, the security systems associated with that, I mean, that I, it, it is my firm and learned opinion that that is an implausible position. And did he say what it was like to live through that? Because Porton Down isn't very far from, from Salisbury, really. I mean, this is a local problem. Well, he was saying that, you know, when he, when he was studying at university, he would never imagine that, that years later he'd be dealing with something like Novichok. I never predicted that I would see a chemical weapon used uh, in, in a city close to, to Port Down. So I think probably I've, I've maybe... I've, I've, nothing will surprise me now. Hello. I haven't started. This is my wonderful holiday. Thank you, Secretary of State. As Ben Wallace said in his interview with me, he sort of blamed a breakdown of world order. Let me just kick off with, obviously, we're at Porton Down. And, of course, this is a place where Novichok was looked at a couple of years ago. And I'm just wondering, how likely is it that we could have a, another attack like that again on British soil? Well, I think it is likely that in the world we'll see attacks using either chemical or biological weapons. We've seen the Syrian regime... Uh, use it on its own people. We have seen ISIS uh, in the past explore the use of anthrax and ricine, uh, as well as other type of gases, uh, chemicals. So it is unfortunately mainly proliferated through the internet and the knowledge, a growing uh, area of concern, uh, which is why we invest in places like DSTL, who have decades of Cold War experience in chemical weapons and biological warfare. And do you see that threat increasing from bioweapons? I, th- I think globally, um, and I can't really comment on specifically the UK, but globally, yeah. I think there's a growing threat of chemical or biological. And we've seen plots exposed in Europe uh, where we saw some of those terrorists were trying to develop that. So uh, it is unfortunately uh, what happens in a, in a sort of breakdown of world order where you see people like Syria use it on their own people. Um, talking to Ben Wallace, talking to the Defence Secretary, I mean, what's his greatest fear? His, his interview was quite stark, actually. The, the threat from chemical and biological weapons, is it more from states or um, terrorists? I think it's, it's, it's a threat of the proliferation of the knowledge from originally from states to either proxies or terrorist groups is probably the highest 
part of the threat. Uh, uh, although I would say that, and then it was the Russian state that used a chemical nerve agent not far from where you're sitting. Yeah. So um, uh, I, I think there is a growing, there has been a worry that some states think it is acceptable to use that type of method to carry out uh, further their aims. Yeah. But okay. definitely the internet helps, I'm afraid, give a turbo boost to the knowledge and understanding of uh, those issues. Looking at the Skripal case, that seems to have been the Russian state. You know, are we facing multiple threats? I think he, he sees that the threat could have come from anywhere. Since Salisbury then, how, how has the sort of preparedness changed in terms of the military for something like that to happen again? We have a really good number of trained counter-terrorism commanders in our police services up and down the country. In most forces, there are counter-terrorism commanders. Yeah. Uh, there are chemical and biological sort of incident commanders, but not as many, because uh, I think in the past the view was there wasn't up to risk. So I think one of the lessons from Salisbury would have been that we need to roll out more of these or we need to make sure they're as current. The, the real lesson from Salisbury is exercising and command and control, I think, was proven uh, to be a success because we really took the counter-terrorism command and control network and framework and just flipped it into responding to the hostile state, which this was a hostile state attack. Thank you. Thanks very much. Bye. Bye. Thank you. And what did Tim Atkins say about potential threats that we might be facing? People have been trying to kill each other with microorganisms ever since, in fact, before microorganisms were identified as causing disease. Yeah. Um, I think the requirement on DSTL will increase. He thinks that the threat will change in the UK because more sophisticated technology is being developed biological engineering and synthetic biology, for example, people will find new ways of looking at particular pathogens or microorganisms and try and develop novel techniques that could be exploited by terrorist groups or states. And I think probably what I would say to you is who, who predicted how the internet would evolve at the point it was invented? Yeah. I think for biological engineering and synthetic biology are the two that I know most about. I think we're at the point where they've largely been invented, but I'm not sure they've been fully exploited, and it's very hard to predict which way that will go. Yeah. It's so secretive and always has been. Do you think they're working on stuff that they can't really talk about publicly, I suppose, but could be quite significant? Yes, they did say that there was stuff that they couldn't talk about, and it, it did leave me wondering what it was, actually, because I felt like they were being... They'd been so open about all of the different work they were doing. I did think, oh gosh, what can you not tell us? So there are some sensitive things here. Uh, yeah. We've just been discussing what we do here. And obviously yeah. there are some other things we do here, which, are, which we're not going to discuss. We've peeked behind the curtain of Britain's most secretive labs. But some of the mysteries of Porton Down remain. You've been listening to Stories of Our Times with me, Manveen Rana, and my guest, The Times defence editor, Larissa Brown. You can find Larissa's full report from Porton Down, as well as photos giving a rare glimpse inside the labs at thetimes.co.uk. And we'll put the links in the description for this episode. 
The producer today was James Shield. The executive producer is Poppy Damon. And sound design was by Carla Patella. If you enjoyed this episode, please do leave us a review in your podcast app. We do read all of them. See you tomorrow. Subscribe today and get one month free at thetimes.co.uk forward slash stories of our times. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade.